let's talk about last week. What did Rodney talk about? Anybody remember? Authentic love. That's right. Uh, so this week, we're going to shift gears a little bit. We're going to stay with authenticity, uh, but we're going to move into something a little bit different. Um, and we're, I, I titled this sermon, Authenticity Through Sanctification and Shame. Um, because shame's a big deal, right? How many of you guys have ever dealt with shame? If you don't raise your hand, it's because you're a liar. It's okay. Um, but sanctification is what like we're all going through. Um, and shame is something that we all process through also. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're going to read straight through a chapter of the Bible. Because I feel like if we really want to know something that's true, we just need to read the Bible, right? Um, because, well, this is, this is it. If you ever want to know something true, you want to know what God has to say on a subject, this is it. It's got all the answers. So if you're searching for it, just open it up. I promise you, if you just keep reading, you'll find it. Um, so we're going to be in John chapter 4. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Um, and so I'm just going to read through. And as I'm reading through each section, um, I'm going to take a break and I'm going to talk about something that we might just need to highlight. We might need to realize something that's going on in this passage. So we're just going to start right off in verse 1. No one Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So let's take a 30-second little snippet here. He had to pass through. Uh, those words are not like... So it means he had to. He was forced to. Something forced him to go the route that he went. The Pharisees did not do it. His disciples did not do it. So who did it? Holy Spirit did. The Holy Spirit said, hey, listen, you've got to go here because there's something happening and you need to be involved in it. And you're the only one that can fix this situation because he is. Let's jump right back in. Verse 5. So he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar, whatever, um, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, which is noon. So it's midday. The sixth hour would be the middle of the day, heat of the day. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. This is the first moment that we see there's something going on with this woman. Uh, for us, when we think about going to get some water about noon, that just means, well, it's lunchtime. I'm going to go get some water. In this culture, that's not the truth. That's not the case. In this culture, you go and you get water at the beginning of the day or at the end of the day when it's cool. You don't go in the middle of the day. So something's amiss. Something's off. This woman is dealing with shame. We don't know exactly what that looks like, but we can tell something's off from a historical standpoint. Let's go straight back in verse 8. Um, For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, asked for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. 
This is the second moment we see something that we should take note of. In this culture, in this time, Jews would do everything in their power to not go through Samaria. They didn't want to because Samaritans in this culture were second-class citizens. Jews were the top. But Samaritans were lesser. And so she's realizing, what is this guy doing in Samaria? He's a Jew, and he's asking me for a drink of water. So something's wrong with him, is what she's thinking. And he's just there to bring a little bit of truth. So second time we can see she's dealing with shame. Uh, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that, that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well. He drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give you will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring well of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come to draw water here. Okay. He did it. He finished it right there. She just accepted him she says, yes, I'll take, this, I'll take this life, this eternal life that you're offering. She's like, all right, give me the water. And so many times we want that to be the end of the story. He gave us the living water. He gave us this. And now, whew, we're good. We've got a, eternal life. We're not going to thirst again. We're not going to deal with stuff anymore. And that's where we want it to end. Why? Because we think, well, that's love and it's comfortable, and it's not offensive. Um, But the gospel is love, but the gospel is not comfortable, and it is offensive. That's just the way it works. I, I learned this really early on through reading a book called The Chronicles of Narnia. C.S. Lewis wrote it. Um, And in this book, there's these two characters that are talking about one of the main characters, who is a representation of Christ. And Susan, one character, looks at the other character, Mr. Beaver, and he says, he's a lion? Is he safe? And Mr. Beaver's response is, who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe, but he is good. And we have to understand that the gospel is not safe. Following Christ is not safe, but it is good. If the gospel was safe and non-offensive, Jesus wouldn't have died on a cross. Okay, He brought a message that was definitely difficult for those people in that day, and it's difficult for the people now. Anyone who's ever heard that word, anything from this will know This isn't just something that you pick up and you're like, yeah, I'm going to be a Christian. It's a good idea. Okay. Be ready. 
So, if we know that being a Christian, following Christ, is something that's good, and we look through everything with that filter on our eyes, we start to understand a little bit of what, why Jesus is doing what he does. Here in verse 16, Jesus said to her, Go call your husbands and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one, the one that you now have is not your husband. What you said is true. So what Jesus just did is he tried to get them to come to the altar, and then he's like, ah, nope, and he kicked her right in the face, right? Whoa, Jesus, you just took out something in her life that is so shame-filled, that is so offensive for her. And for some of us in here, we know there's something in our heart that we don't want to give to Christ because we're ashamed of it. We don't want it to come to light because we're ashamed of it. And that's not the situation that we need to live in. We need to live in this place of letting Jesus draw shame out of our lives. Why? Why would he do this? It's cruel. It hurts. It's drawing shame into the light. Um, And the reason he's drawing this shame out is because when we have 1% that we hide... 99% of me is known, but there's 1% that is unknown that I've hidden and I've tucked in my back pocket. Every time I talk to someone, if that person's like, man, you are awesome, I love you, you're the best, I, in the back of my mind, I know if he knew the 1% that I was hiding, he wouldn't think that. And so Jesus realizes here that this Samaritan woman is living in a place where she has taken things and she's hiding them. She's put her shame in her pocket She's buried it. She doesn't want anybody to know about it. But Jesus knows that until she is fully known, she cannot be fully loved. You cannot fully experience love until you are fully known, 100%. Everything in you has to be exposed. And it hurts. It's not fun. Um, I... I was listening to, uh, I was talking to a a friend of mine, a very wise man. He said, you can't move forward until you have come to terms with what you've done and moved past it. Uh, That's Riley Young. And one of the things that Max Licato says it one way, I'm going to change his wording a little bit and, and say this, God loves her just the way she is, but he loves her enough that he's not going to leave her stuck in her shame. God loves you just where you are. Where you are is okay. But Christ doesn't want you to sit there. He wants you to to get out of that box of shame and be 100% fully known. Fully known. This is what we're called to. Um, Verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people 
to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. What just happened? In that passage, so Jesus brings shame out, and the very next thing that she says is, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. She just rejected His authority. She looked at Jesus, her shame came to the surface, and when her shame came up, she said, ooh, I think you're a prophet. Let me ask you a theological question. How many of you guys know the difference between a scar and a wound? A scar is healed, right? If I have a big scar on my arm and somebody touches it, what happens? Nothing. If I have a big wound on my arm, two days old, big cut, I fought a bear, whatever, saved a kid from it. Uh, I mean, because he didn't actually cut me, though. Come on, guys, you guys know I'd crush him. Um, But if I have this giant wound on my arm and somebody walks up and does this, what happens? You have two responses. You either back away from the situation or you go into the situation. That's it, right? You guys know this. If if, if my dad had surgery, he had a, a wound that was healing that was on his chest. And when people would come up and reach to pat him on the chest, whoa, he's gonna back up because he knows there's pain there. She did the same thing. So in that moment, when Christ brings the shame up, brings the wound up, her response is, whoa. She backs up and tries to move the situation away from her shame, rejects his authority, and then asks him a theological question. Sometimes we have really good questions, but they get in the way of our healing. Um, I've seen this happen. I've seen this very present example happen. My mom and dad back here, they've been foster parents since I was three, right? I was four. Okay, I was four when they started doing foster care. And I've watched growing up when somebody walks into a situation, when a, a foster child walks in and my parents have to correct something, shame comes to the surface and who do you think you are? You're not my mom. You're not my dad. Instantly, they reject authority. And what happens when our shame comes to the surface is we want to reject the authority that is trying to help us process through shame. It's trying to help us walk into what Christ actually has for us, which is freedom. Um, so we can see those differences there, that she took this theological thing, shoves it in Jesus' face and says, here, I'm going to reject your authority and put a hard question in front of you. Jesus isn't offended by that. He wasn't offended by his authority being called, called into question. He just said, okay, I'll, I can address that too. So he addresses the situation, and then we get to where we're at now. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is a powerful moment. Powerful moment when Christ declares his authority. I am the Messiah. Um, And look what happens. I'm going to skip verse 27, go straight into verse 28. Um, So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? 
they went, they went out of town and were coming to him. What happened? What was she originally trying to do? She was hiding from everyone. Right? She showed up at the well at noon because she had shame and she wanted to hide. She wanted to be as unobtrusive as possible. And what just happened when Christ spoke to her, I am the one who you're talking about. When he said, I am the Messiah. She realized the kind of authority that he had. And as soon as she realized what authority Christ carried in that moment, she stopped trying to hide. She left what she was doing. She walked into town, and instead of being meek and hiding and not wanting to be in front of anyone, she decided, I'm going to run through the streets of my town, and I'm going to tell everybody about this dude. I'm going to tell everyone about it. So you can see that when Christ's authority came into her life, it overshadowed her shame. Her shame was really small now, and it was unobtrusive, and it wasn't important. Um, so, if she's no longer feeling shame, it's only because the light of Christ came in. His authority came in, and when we function under the authority of Christ, when we give our 1% over to Him, then we can start to walk in that freedom that, and realize our shame, that thing that we are ashamed of, it doesn't actually matter. It doesn't have authority over us because the one who has authority over everything stands above that and puts it down. Um, so one of the things I really want to bring up here um, is confession. Um, and sometimes people are like, well, that's a Catholic thing. Um, well, no, it's a biblical thing. Um, and I'm going to read, read a few passages to you because Christ has given us stuff to help us deal with shame. All right, If it's in the Bible, it's there for a reason. And if it says that we're supposed to in 1 John 1, 8 through 9, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So confession is important. This is just two times that we find that confession is something that we're called to. Just two. Um, There are plenty more where we're called to confess. Um, And according to these two passages, confession helps with righteousness and healing. So there's something that happens when we confess physically. Healing happens when we start to confess things that we've held in the dark, that we don't want people to know. Um, So let's define two things. I want to define shame for you. Shame is a painful emotion caused by consciousness of guilt, shortcomings, or impropriety. And confession is to tell or make known something. It's an acknowledgement of guilt or sin. So confession brings light to our sin and to our shame. 
And when light comes in, when light is, when things, when the light is exposed to our sin and our shame, what happens? What happens in, with light in general? What grows in the sun? Flowers, trees, all of those things that are nice, right? What grows in the dark? Mold, fungus, all that nasty junk. And so what happens is the enemy really wants us to take our shame and hide it in the dark. To take what hurts and hide it in the dark. Because when we do that, we can't do anything else. We, we, we might put on a good face, but we know that back home in our basement, where we hide what's true of us, we believe, there's fungus and there's mold and there's things growing on this. And so what happens is when we don't bring our shame and our sin to the light, it grows. It doesn't get better. It doesn't stay the same. Anytime you've ever heard, oh, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not really moving forward, but I'm not, like, moving backwards either. No, you're moving backwards. You, you're always moving. You're just moving in one way or the other. That's it, period. One way or the other. And so we have to bring light. When we bring light into our sin and into our shame, it starts to shrivel up and it starts to die. It no longer carries authority. So confession is important in this way because it allows us an opportunity to bring our, our stuff, that 1%, that however much of you that is, is hiding. And some of you are like, oh, but I've got like 25%. No worries. We've all got way more than 1%. I was just giving 1% as an example. Um, so we don't feel shame. Authenticity, when I feel shame, means I don't hold on to it, I don't maintain it, and I give it to God and I walk in righteousness. Um, Let's talk about the prodigal son real fast. The prodigal son walked in shame, and when he was walking in shame, instead of him just continuing on, he ended up eating with pigs. The most shameful thing a Jewish boy could do. Pigs were unclean animals, and he was sharing food with an unclean animal. He walked into shame, and it grew, and it grew, and it got magnified. What happened to the prodigal son, though? He was eating with pigs. He was, he was living in his shame, but his heart shifted, and his heart shifted to a point where he had two things on his mind that he rehearsed, humility and confession to his father. That's what he had. Those were the two things that he had. And as soon as he turns back, he starts going home. He starts going to his father. What happens? His father sees him, runs to him, covers him. He put a robe on him. He gave him a ring. He put sandals on his feet. Because he realized all that shame was just eating him up. It was killing him. And he didn't know what to do. So he took it to to his father. And that's what Christ is calling us to do. Take our shame to our father. Take our shame and just get it out there in the open. And listen, I'm not telling you guys that you need to confess your sins one to another and after service we're all just going to get in a big circle, hold hands, and we're all going to just spew our junk. Don't do that. That's unhealthy. 
Um, I'm going to make sure I put some parameters on this confession thing. Confession is, um, it's kind of like a, uh, I'm going to use boxing as an example. Boxing is a one-man sport, right? There's one guy versus one guy, right? It's not a team sport. Confession is kind of like boxing. Um, and you might ask, well, it's one person versus one person. I'm not confessing to the dude I'm fighting. I'm going to confess to somebody else. And what happens is the boxer has somebody in his corner. He's got someone that's standing right outside the ring that when he comes back to the, back to the edge, what, did, what does he do? He sits down in his corner. His coach comes out, and the other medic comes out. And so he's got two people in his corner. And his coach, what is he doing? He's speaking truth over him hey, this is what the enemy's doing right now. You need to be aware of it. This is who you are. You're going to wreck it. Get out there and do this. So we need someone in our corner, and confession looks very similar to that, that I have one guy over here, and it's not somebody that's going through it with me. If I'm an amateur boxer, I'm not going to go talk to an amateur boxer about how I become a pro boxer. You see what I mean? That doesn't work. So me, as an amateur boxer, needs to look and say, Woo, Ed, that dude is a professional boxer. So I'm going to take notes from him. I'm going to, I'm going to go to this guy who's dealing with some, some stuff. He knows all about it. He's walked through it. He's a pro in this. So I take notes from him. I confess to him. And what he does, he doesn't say, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. He says, bro, you're better than that. But this is who Christ is in you. He calls truth out. He lays truth on top of it. That's what, that's what confession's all about. It's not about finding someone that you can just both be going through the same junk and I'm going to share with this person and they're going to share with me and we're both going to be like, oh, pity party. That's not what we're doing. We're finding somebody that we can walk with and that has already walked ahead of us. And when that person that's walked ahead of us, they can turn around and they can help lead us through it. And we can confess. We can get these things off of ourselves and it brings righteousness and healing. Woo! Let's get this. Um, let's see. Did I miss anything? Did I miss anything? I'm not done yet, guys. Don't worry. I still have a full page of notes. <laughs> we got seven minutes left. I'm sorry. Um, so you need someone that can hear what you do and remind you who Jesus is. Remind you of his authority. Not the authority of your shame. It doesn't have authority over you. Christ has authority over all. Okay, so that's what we need to do in, in this confession thing. Um, and sometimes the enemy wants to scream in your face, you are not worthy. You can't do it. You're terrible. There's nothing you can do that'll, that'll, that you can fix this situation. You're too far gone. Um, and this is a little bit countercultural, but my thinking and my understanding of what Scripture is, is our response should be, yeah, I know. I'm not. I'm, I'm in all of these things. All of this shame is holding me down. But it is written. It is written in Isaiah 53, 5. But we pray. He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquity. And upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. Romans 3, 23, 24. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yeah, I've sinned. I've fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is Christ Jesus. Isaiah 1, 18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. 
Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Listen, yes, we have all messed up. And if you don't think you've messed up, or you're anticipating, I've walked in this, I know, like, I get it, I'm, I, I'll overcome maybe. No. Look, we've all messed up. Okay? And if you don't think you have, or if you think you've messed up too far, the grace of God is way bigger than your mistake. Okay? Way bigger. But we have to accept it. Okay? It's a free gift. But if we don't accept His grace, we cannot walk in it. Which means when shame shows up, when pain shows up, what do we do with it? We get rid of it. We give it to Christ. We walk in His righteousness. That's what the Bible does. If you don't have some passages memorized, if you don't have some written down, sitting on the mirror in your bathroom to remind yourself of who you are in Christ, I encourage you to do it. Because He's got some stuff for you. He's got truth. And when the enemy comes up with a lie, when the enemy comes up with that thing that we look at our life and we're like, yeah, that, that's true. We can say, yeah, okay, but it's written that I'm the righteousness of Christ. And so if I'm the righteousness of Christ, well, I'm not really worried about what has happened. I'm worried about what I'm going to do next. How am I going to follow Christ? Um, Phenomenal verse here, Hebrews 10, 14. For by a single offering He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This passage, such a good passage, um, it means two things. You are perfect and you are not. And, and you ask, like, how can that be true? Yes, it can be true. He's God. He wrote it. Okay. And what it means, what this is talking about is sanctification and justification. Okay. In, in the first moment of her coming to Christ and saying, I want this eternal life. I want this eternal life that comes through you. She was justified before God. She, she came into right standing. The beginnings of sanctification started working. Sanctification is a three-part word. It, it happens in three distinct phases. We become sanctified. So when, he, when she steps before Christ and He says, accept this living water, she accepted sanctification. She became justified. So she's justified before Christ. The next one is a process of sanctification that goes on in all of our lives. And this is where confession starts to show up. This is where other things start to show up. This is the walk that we go through. And then the third part is, at our death, we are fully sanctified and we sit before Christ in and of who He is, not according to what we have done. Um, For by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Write that down. Take it home. Dwell on that. Okay? Because when you are being sanctified, you are perfect. So yes, I'm walking through junk and I'm going through sanctification, but Christ has already called me perfect. So yes, we are perfect. Yes, we are not perfect. hope that makes sense. Um, we're going to go past a conversation that Jesus has with his disciples and we're going to move into verse 39. Um, Many Samaritans from this town believed in, in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed, the Savior of the world. Listen, she walked through shame. She was dealing with a lot of stuff. 
we're all dealing with a lot of stuff, but when we decide that we're going to walk in Christ's authority, when his authority, we give it permission to come over our lives, then we can step out of our shame because it no longer has authority. We realize what the major authority is over our life. We've confessed it to Christ. We've confessed it to others. We're walking with people to hold us accountable in our actions and in our life. What just happened? People in the town said, we believed because of your testimony. What was her testimony? I found this dude. He told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? That was her testimony. She said, I lived in shame. This dude called my shame out, called, put me under his authority, and now I'm walking in freedom. And because of that, she ran through her town, told everybody to come. Everybody shows up. And now these people are saying, well, we believed because of your testimony. So only from her saying, listen, I found a guy who told me everything I ever did, could this be the Christ? Because of that, the people in her town came running. They were like, who is this? Because this woman was full of shame, and now she's not full of shame, and she's walking in peace, she's walking in grace. What happened? Revelation 12, 11. Um, and they overcame because of the blood of the Lamb, and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even when faced with death. It's so important. Listen, sometimes when we walk in shame, it looks like death. The only option we have is, is, is death. I've got I've to just get out of this, and I've got to die in some areas and, and move myself out. Some people even walk in that and say, well, death is the only option. And that's where suicide comes in, that people do that because they don't believe there's anything that can take them out of their... But listen, this lady realized that even in the point of social death, it didn't matter. Because the blood of Christ. The first part of that verse is that we overcome because of the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So she experienced the blood of the Lamb and then she decided she's going to walk in her testimony. So she picked up her shame, this thing that's gross and ugly and we hate and we want to hide. She carried it in front of her and she ran into town. And sometimes we have to run into town with something that's gross and ugly and we don't need to share with everybody we will overcome when we said, look, this is what Christ has done. He allows me to hold this in front of you, and it's gross. And it's, I don't want to actually hold it. I don't want people to see it. But through his blood and through this testimony, I'm going to overcome. So she overcame, and then the people in her town overcame. And at first they were like, look, we just believed because of your testimony, but now we've seen it for ourselves. We know that this is the Christ. We know that this is the Christ, and because of that, now we're going to walk in that too. So her town comes to know Jesus through one woman sitting with Jesus and her shame being exposed. So what we have to do, what we're called to do now, is walk in this place where we take our shame and we take our pain, we bring it to Christ, and we find somebody that's walked through this and we ask them if they'll walk through this with me. I find someone that I can walk through this with. And what we can do is we can flip Phoenix City on its head. And then we can flip Columbus on its head. 
when we start really functioning in the authority and the power that is our testimony, instead of letting shame control us, we take our shame and we use it to flip the world on its head. As you go out into the mission field, not only you as a group, but all of you go out. If you were here on Wednesday, you heard that message that everything's missional. Everything that we do is, is ministry. So as you go out from here, don't worry about your shame. Bring it to Christ. And when you bring that to Christ, you will transform the world. Jesus had 12 that brought their shame. And those were his inner circle, his 12 people that he walked with all the time. And they were dealing with stuff constantly. They didn't have it all together. They were really dumb sometimes. And we can be really dumb sometimes. But that's okay. Grace isn't just for right now. Grace is for the journey that is your life. Okay? So take what Christ has given you and and use it. Follow what the Word says um, and you would be surprised at what will happen in your life. Man. Don't let shame hold you down. The enemy's trying to kill you. You don't have to take it. You can walk in Christ. You can walk in sanctification. That's what he has for you. But you have to be willing to say, yes, I'll accept your, your free gift. If you don't accept it, it doesn't come. Because he's not going to force himself on you. He won't force his grace on you. But he wants you to walk in it. He wants you to walk in freedom from all the junk that you think no one knows you're dealing with. God already knows what you're, that you're dealing with it. He just wants you to bring it to him and hand it to him. Okay? Mm. Father, we thank you for today. God, your word is powerful. And God, we just ask that you would know us fully and know us to the full extent of who you've called us to be. Amen.